All right, guys, and welcome back in to the Flag Hunting Podcast. My name is Chris, and I am joined by Ian, as always, as we are here to preview the um, next round of the FedEx playoffs. But first, we are going to talk about the St. Jude Championship, the very first round here. Um, and Ian, Lucas Glover, man, back to back. Shades of, I actually wanted to, I looked this up earlier. It's like shades of Cantley and Finau, but I realized Finau didn't do it in the playoffs. He did it the week before the playoffs, right? And then the first week of the playoffs, and then Cantley did it twice in the playoffs, I think. Or did I look it up wrong? Uh, okay, so <laughs> talk about Tony winning the 3M and the Rocket Mortgage back-to-back events last year. So those were both non-playoff events. He won a FedEx Cup playoff event in 2021, I believe, at the Northern Trust. But Maybe that's what I'm thinking. I think in 2021, I think he might have went win, then nothing at the window, and then he won the first round, I think. And then Cantley, obviously, last year won the first that two. Might have, that might be right. I can't actually remember Tony Finau's 2021 season entire, in entirety. Uh, Cantley obviously won the BMW and then won East like the very next week. So that's yep. that's what we're talking about there for the Tour Championship. But, man, what can you say? I mean, Glover – it was, you know, it, it was a bit of a miss at Sedgefield for both of us, considering we kind of got off the train uh, kind of a week too early. And then, man, I, I, I expect him to play well. It's kind of one of those things similar like a Wyndham Clark or a Harmon where we brought him up late in last week's podcast, top 20, maybe a top 10 if you're feeling frisky. Didn't think he was going to be able to take down a field of Scheffler and Rory and Rom and Cantley and all them. Um, but, man, credit to the dude. I mean, he is – He's playing some really serious golf, and I mean, you know, this week certainly may be a bit more fluky in terms of like the underlying stats, but um, but you can't take away the fact that he comes through back back weeks. I mean, does what he has to do, makes all the key putts. I don't know how much of the Sunday coverage you watched. You were in your own little world in Indianapolis last uh, last Sunday, but um, but yeah, just just an, a cold blooded uh, back nine from Glover. I mean, he, he had some really loose swings, put himself in some really tough spots, but. Um, you know, when it came down to it, when he had to make a 10, 15, 20-footer for par, uh, he was your guy, which is not something you've been able to say about a lot of guys down the stretch. So, um, yeah, I mean, Glover all of a sudden catapults from in two weeks outside the top 100 in the Fenders Cup standings to a front runner for Eastlake um, and, you know, potentially a, even, a, even a place on that vaunted Ryder Cup team. Uh, so, awesome story. I, I you know – it it maybe I'd be singing a bit of a different tune if I if we had Cantley uh, and certainly Glover cost us maybe a a chance there to cash a Henley ticket at, at Greensboro but um, I am starting to grow to grow on the guy just looking kind of listen to his press conferences and you know obviously seeing his family um, gather around the the 18th green last week the kind of the family fair he had there and um, yeah dude's just down to earth guy Carolina roots veteran journeyman you know past major champion past champion at Quail Hollow he's won some of the biggest titles in the sport and now coming back age 44 um, making the switch to the, to the broomstick putter. And all of a sudden, like all those woes that he went through for five, 10 years with a flat sticker are suddenly healed. And like you go through the field, you know, 50 guys left in the, in the tour playoffs right now. Like there's not a lot of guys I would pick over Lucas Glover right now from on, on like a must make eight footer, which is just crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, man, all, um, all credit goes to him. It, it sucks for Cantley because we had a lot of friends on Cantley. Um, obviously, our boy Byron is on Cantley. A couple other guys on, on golf Twitter were on him. Uh, second time in the 2023 season where he's had a chance on 18 to secure a win. Obviously, we were on Tom Kim when he kind of smother pulled his drive at Summerlin into the left rough or in the left hazard 
Um, and then obviously this week, uh, first playoff hole, takes all the pressure off Glover, puts it into the left has, and Glover knows all it takes is going to be all it's going to take is a par uh, to win it. So, uh, yeah, crazy, crazy uh, finish down the stretch. I, I was like Southwind; it always provides a really sick finish. Third straight year now that that's tournament's ended in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, definitely bring your uh, bring your straight jacket if you're gonna, <laughs> if you're going to have someone in down the stretch. So, uh, so real quick, real quick question. So you brought, you brought the Ryder Cup team. Yeah, I haven't really really looked into this at all, so I don't really know. But what is kind of the rumblings of, like, is is it still really in question of who can make it? Like, I because oh, yeah. I was gonna bring I was gonna bring that up of like, because I think two weeks ago a lot of people were saying, Denny McCarthy was gonna be the guy, and then he's completely blown up in the wrong way, blown up in the wrong way. Um, and Lucas Glover has kind of maybe even played himself into comeback player of the year. Um, so I would assume he's probably. Not maybe not a shoe in, but I assume he's probably in, considered. But who else? Because you got to think Justin Thomas isn't eligible. Um, You'd be surprised. So yeah, I, I mean, I thought he couldn't be there. I thought I thought he couldn't be. I mean, well, you get six captains picks, so Zach Johnson could do whatever he want with half the team. And and considering you know that, I mean, if you talked to me twelve months ago, right? Who are the most important players on the U.S. team? Kind of over the next five, ten years, like JT was a core member of that team. Him and Spieth dominated the Presidents Cup last year. Uh, he's got a great Ryder Cup record. I mean, JT kind of lives for these team events. And if he would have had, you know, anywhere near a, just an average season by his standards uh, this year, he'd be a shoe in So I think, you know, obviously his past experiences with the U.S. team will, will earn him some goodwill. But you're right. I mean, based on merit and based on everything I'm seeing, his results, his stats, uh, certainly not. Um, yeah, I, I think he's, he should be out of the picture um, in terms of like his results and what he's put down on paper. But you kind of never know uh, with kind of the Ryder Cup boys club that <laughs> that tends to develop around this time. Um, in terms of like the, the race for the back, the U.S. team, obviously at the top, you're going to have Scheffler, Clark, Harmon, Kepka, Cantley. I think Xander is the, is the sixth automatic spot. Uh, and then you have the next six would be Homa. These would be captain's picks. This is completely up to interpretation. ZJ can bring any of these guys he wants, but you have to pick six of these following guys. You're going to have like, Spieth, Morikawa, Fowler, Homa. Then you've got like Cam Young, Finau, Keegan, Burns, Bryson, and then obviously Glover, JT. So it's just so deep at the back of this pack. Um, for me, I mean, obviously outside the top six I mentioned at the at the jump, I think Fowler's a shoe-in. I think Spieth's a shoe-in. I think Morikawa's a shoe-in. I think Homa should be a shoe-in as well, uh, especially considering he just he's kind of – uh, come back a bit of a resurgence here, three or four straight now, top 25 finishes for, for Homa now. Um, so that's nine. And then that leaves three spots for the likes of Keegan, Burns, Finau, Bryson, Cam Young, JT, Glover. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a tough decision for sure. I mean, I, I don't know. For me personally, I think I would, I would like to see Lucas make it. I think he's actually low-key a pretty good fit for your stereotypical, like, European Ryder Cup golf course that tends to put more emphasis on driving actually like the Europeans tend to pick venues kind of like Sedgefield and DBC Southwind right like places that are super penal to wide misses because the Americans tend to you know they tend to outgun the Europeans in terms of power off the tee and so to mitigate that a lot of the European venues in, in the past have been you know high rough narrow fairways emphasis on accuracy scrambling stuff like that uh, the Euros tend to excel a bit more at so with the way he's playing right now, yeah, I would I would give Glover personally the the nod over the likes of Cam Young and even like a Finau or a JT, obviously Burns, Keegan. So he should be on there. But to your point, we've uh, I think actually this morning, Bet365 just released their 
Ryder Cup odds, so or or odds to make the Ryder Cup team. And Lucas Glover was four to one, uh, and JT was minus two fifty. So I don't tend to get into those markets because like it's 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 a pure like opinion call on on ZJ's part. Like if he feels like JT is better for the team, he's obviously going to bring JT. Um, but uh, yeah, just based on pure merit, like the four to one number on Glover is pretty ridiculous. I think he should be the you know tenth or eleventh man in uh, by as things currently stand. So, um, yeah, I mean, he mentioned on Sunday, he's never made a Ryder cup team. So he, he's got a lot of motivation here heading into the final two weeks. If, you know, if, if $18 million at the end wasn't enough. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm pulling for Lucas. If he has two more finishes inside the top 10 or top 15, I think he's probably in, uh, this week will probably be the, the toughest <clears throat> to climb. Um, but luckily because he won last week, he's pretty much a shoe in for Eastlake anyway. So he can kind of, I mean, I think theoretically he kind of coasts this week. I don't think it's a golf course is a, is a great fit for Glover. Um, and then I think Eastlake is a much better kind of fit with his emphasis on driving accuracy and, and it being a bit of a corollary to, to places like Southwind as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, Ryder Cup season is only about a month away. So I think the the recent, um, recent live movement has kind of moved towards the Europeans. Uh, I've kind of made my initial short list for who I think is going to be on the team and um, I'm seeing right now in the USA numbers, like drifting down to like the minus 130 range, which is pretty enticing. Uh, I'll be honest, because I think although like guys like Rom, Rory, Hovland, Hatton, Fleetwood, very strong top end to the European team, but you start getting past the top five and you're left with guys like Straka, Fitzpatrick, who's not playing very well, Lowry's in a bit of a slump, Robbie, Robert McIntyre, Justin Rose, Moronk, Yannick Paul, Ludwig Aberg. So like it's it, it falls off pretty quickly. Whereas I think the U S team towards the back end has a lot more, obviously. I mean, if you're making decisions between like Finau, Keegan and Burns for your final man, like you're doing pretty good in terms of your depth. So, um, so yeah, right now I would lean team USA, even though, you know, we haven't won in European soil in over 25 years now. So uh, it would be a tall task, but yeah, that, that would be my lean as of right now. I think actually the recent resurgence of, of guys like Glover and Harmon, um, actually kind of worked for the USA's benefit because I think these are guys that, again, are kind of more stereotypical European players than they would be like guys that you would typically see on like your whistling straights team uh, two years ago at, at, for the Americans. So um, yeah, really interesting discussion. Obviously I think Glover's earned it, but there's, I don't think you're going to be really disappointed either way by whoever gets picked at the, uh, you know, uh, towards the back end of the USA team. Well, that was a bit off topic, but um <laughs> That's what I was curious. I just thought about that. And we are only about 45 days away from the Ryder Cup, which is also our two-year uh, anniversary yeah. to starting this podcast. So um, first, very first bet waiver hit was USA outright at the Ryder <laughs> that's Cup. Right. That's, that's um, right. So, yeah, here's here's going for two in a row. But, yeah, Ryder Cup, Ryder Cup season is always awesome. I can't believe it's 45 days, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I guess it's September. It's of September. Yeah, okay, it's it's in October. It's like li- literally the last day of September, twenty ninth to the first of October. So, okay, I, I remember it was like on my week on my birthday uh, last time two years ago, which is like September twenty first. So, um, I guess a, a week back. I know they're doing like uh, we have like multiple bye weeks. So I think between the Tour Championship and, and the Fortinet, we have one, and then we have another one between the Fortinet and the Ryder Cup. So, um. Yeah, a couple weeks off on the golf side of things, but yeah, definitely if we're looking ahead towards the fall, like there's really one event on the calendar that I think every golf fan has circled and and that's it. So 
plenty to talk about, I'm sure, if um, – you know, I think every golf podcast this time of year is talking Ryder Cup, so that's our that's our two cents um, into the back end of the American team. All right. So, with that being said, we are on to the next round of the FedEx playoffs, um, and we are headed to Olympia Fields, um, which, just reading about this, this is a really, really interesting course. kind of fits almost into like a major golf kind of feel to it. Um, yeah. So, Ian, yeah, I'm excited to hear your course breakdown for this week and then we'll get into the odds board and um spoiler alert our betting card will be really quick so but we'll get there yeah, yeah we've got i've got plenty i've got plenty of material from from kind of the yeah. 16 to 60 range so don't worry about that i've still got plenty to talk about even if uh the betting card was spoiled on twitter on monday morning but yeah bmw championship 2023 uh played at olympia fields uh the north course the country club here uh in chicago uh, par 70 this week, measuring just 7,284 yards, uh, about 25 miles south of downtown Chicago. Shout out our boy Eric. I uh, will say if you're in the Chicago area, I would very much recommend going to this golf course. Um, I mean, it's it's one, consistently ranked as one of the top golf courses in Chicago, uh, one of the top 50 courses in the entire U.S. So um, it's always been really weird to me that the PJ Tour hasn't kind of embraced Chicago more as a golfing city. I mean, it's one of the more prestigious, especially in the Midwest, one of the more prestigious cities. Um for golf venues we've had it, you know, it was the Western open for, for multiple years. And that went away uh, kind of in the early part of the turn of the century. So the fact that we don't have a regular event in Chicago, don't have a regular event in New York, don't have a regular event in Boston has always been a bit befuddling to me. So it's, it's always nice to kind of get back to Chicago. Olympia Fields is, is going to play a great host in a, in a great event this week. So um, while this golf course has never been a regular stop on the PGA tour, uh, it has played host to two PGA championships in 1925 and 1961. Uh, two U.S. Opens in 1928 and 2003. The 2003 iteration won by Jim Furyk. Uh, a U.S. Senior Open, a U.S. Am, that was won by Bryson DeChambeau, I believe, in 2015. And a Women's PGA Championship. Um, it hosted the Western Open on five separate occasions from 1920 to 1971 uh, before the Western Open moved to its kind of two main homes at Butler National and Cog Hill, two other uh, very prestigious Chicago courses in that area. Uh, and then finally, of course, the reference point that most people will be pointing to this week will be uh, – the 2020 BMW championship that uh, was the last event, the last professional event held, held at Olympia fields uh, won by John Rahm. Uh, that is of course, that of course will be the event we'll be focusing most on uh, as not only is there plenty of crossover between the two fields, just being three years ago, um, same event BMW championship. So a similar setup I would, I would expect, uh, but it's also the only event in, in the history of this course, which for which we have strokes gain data. Uh, so a quick rundown of the leaderboard of that week. Uh, John Rahm uh, won the event uh, to beat Dustin Johnson in a playoff at minus four. If you have not gone back and watched the ending to that event, uh, one of the sickest endings, I think, in a PGA Tour event's history, um, as DJ made a 55-foot slider down the hill on 18 to tie Rahm uh, to get into the playoff, and then Ryder and then Rahm on the first playoff hole proceeded to drill a 65-foot putt on the same green to beat DJ uh, in the playoff, make a make a birdie on the first playoff hole and obviously win <clears throat> the uh, the second playoff event of uh, the 2020 playoff season. And that was obviously the the fall that DJ went on a run, uh, won the Travelers, then won the, the first leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs, won at East Lake the next week after that, then won the Masters that fall. So DJ was peak DJ. That was, I mean, he was the clearest best player in the world. And Rom was really the only guy that really got um, – that got a leg up on him uh, really in that entire kind of three, four month stretch. Um, so it was Rom over DJ in the playoff at minus four uh, tied for third at minus two were Hideki Matsuyama and Joaquin Neiman. Uh, Tony Finau came fifth at minus one 
And out of 70 players in that field that week, that was everyone that finished under par. Uh, the scoring average over the four days of Olympic fields that week uh, sat at 72.66, which being a par 70 is 2.66 shots over par, um, which since 2015, that makes Olympia Fields the fifth, tough, the fifth toughest venue played on the PGA Tour uh, in a given week. It is surpassed only by the 2020 U.S. Open played at Wingfoot, the 2023 PGA Championship played at Oak Hill earlier this uh, year, Quail Hollow at the 2017 PGA Championship, and Bethpage Black at the 2019 PGA Championship. So four major venues. This uh, golf course in 2020 played harder than any uh, ever iteration of Bay Hill, Augusta National, Toy Pines, or Mirfa Village. This is as close to a major championship golf course as anything we've seen in a regular draw event. Uh, so as such, I'll be looking pretty extensively at a guy's history and proficiency in difficult scoring conditions, uh, particular emphasis uh, on the likes of Wingfoot, Oak Hill, Bethpage, and Mayfield Village, all in similar parts of the country, um, similar agronomy, similar scoring conditions, et cetera. Uh, and particularly uh, when we talk about Mayfield Village especially, I'm going to be looking at the 2020 and 2023 iterations that were won at, I believe, minus six and minus four, uh, respectively. So those were the ones that played kind of exorbitantly difficult compared to the rest of the years at Mayfield Village. Um, <clears throat> moving into the strokes gain data for the average, um, for the top 10 finishers here in 2020, um, average strokes gained um, for the top 10 finishers, 1.75, which is 22% of the pie off the tee, 2.31, which is 29% of the pie on approach, 1.4 around the greens, which is 17.8%, and 2.4 strokes gained putting, which makes up 30%. So 22, 29, 17, and 30. Would you compare that to like a normal tour event? You know, what we've seen at Southwind, Sedgefield, some of the courses before that. Um, even though approach play and putting will still make up the majority as they usually do, uh, around the green and off the tee definitely account for a higher percentage of the total pie than we're accustomed to. And that's that's pretty standard when you get to like a, a difficult scoring test. Uh, U.S. Opens, PGA Championships, they tend to place more emphasis on driving and more emphasis on around the green play relatively to a, to a normal tour stop. Uh, strong week, of course, for bogey avoidance, uh, strokes gain and difficult scoring conditions. Um, and we're talking and we're going and when we're talking about driving, um, I'm weighing distance pretty far over accuracy this week, um, much opposed to like Southwind and Sedge for the last two weeks where I I thought you could be below average in distance and kind of make it up for it by hitting a ton of fairways and staying out of trouble. Um, this week, I, I anticipate it being much more bomber heavy at the top of the leaderboard. If you look back at the 2020 splits, the top 10 in stroke chain off the tee uh, three years ago. Jason Kokrak, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Cantley, Matthew Wolf, Bubba Watson, Joaquin Neiman, John Rahm, Roy McIlroy, Corey Connors, Hideki Matsuyama. Ton of bombers. In fact, every one of those 10 finished above the field average in driving distance. Um, and why is that? I think it's for a pretty similar reason to what we saw at Oak Hill most recently, I would say, right? Because Olympia Field features the second narrowest fairways on the PJ Tour. Um, they are about 26 yards wide on average. And surrounding them are four inch thick bluegrass rough as well. So when you talk about fairways that are so narrow and the rough penalty is so high, you know, when fairways are only 26 yards wide, even the most accurate players in the, in the field are going to have trouble hitting a high percentage of fairways. Um, the driving accuracy here in 2020 was 48%. And so when so few fairways are being hit, it places obviously more importance, more emphasis on, distance because if you're gouging the ball the rough you're gonna have obviously a lot more control with a short iron or a wedge in your hand as opposed to if you're trying to hack out six irons and seven irons same formula that guys like bryson have used at Wingfoot that a lot of guys at the top of the kill leaderboard used um and a lot of the kind of the u.s open pga championship you know blueprint has has been 
um, just like that. So I anticipate a very similar formula to success off the tee here. Um, now, I do expect the driving accuracy figure to go up um, this year um, as recent rains have actually softened up Chicago uh, quite a bit over the last two weeks. Um, I expect the excess moisture will effectively widen the fairways a little bit, but it will also make balls in the rough much more difficult to advance, which, again, further emphasizes the importance of distance, the importance of having wedges and short irons in your hand. Uh, because, like I said, four-inch thick bluegrass rough that's wet, um, good luck getting six and seven irons out of that thing, out of that stuff. Um, in terms of iron play, uh, I don't see this week as a as a week to dive too deeply into like, particular proximity ranges. Uh, the pars, pars threes and fives would definitely lead you to bleed into kind of middle to long iron play. All four of the par threes measure over 170 yards. Both the par fives measure over 600. Uh, but the par fours Olympia fields are pretty varied in length. Uh, four of the 12, yeah, four of the 12 par fours measure under 415. Five measure from 440 to 460, and three come in at over 460 yards. So. If I had to pick, if I had to pick a particular range, I would lean more towards that 150 to 200 yard bucket, particularly if the course plays longer due to moisture. Um, but the distribution shouldn't be lopsided enough to warrant a heavy emphasis on these metrics. Instead, I'm going to be focused a lot more on kind of general iron stats, strokes gain approach, uh, greening regulation gained, rough proximity given the projected driving accuracy percentage. Um, as 10 holes on this property played to a scoring average of at least a tenth of a shot over par in 2020. Um, so. I think just a simple stat like greens and regulation is going to go a long way because if you can consistently just put yourself on the green and regulation two putt from 35, 40 feet, you're going to end up getting a lot of strokes uh, accumulated over the course of the week. So that is my iron um, position this week. Um, I'm also playing a pretty, I'm also placing a higher than average emphasis on scrambling stats. Again, the GR percentage here sat at a meager 58% in 2020 compared to the tour average of 65%. So it's a pretty safe bet that players are going to be forced to scramble uh, for par a lot more frequently than what we've been used to over the last two weeks. Um, and, you know, while a lead around the green play can certainly keep you afloat, um, I still consider a bit of a supplemental skill when compared to the two ball striking disciplines. Uh, three the excuse me, three of the top seven back in 2020 were able to attain that position while, while losing strokes around the greens. And only a decade of the top seven uh, gained more than two shots uh, in that category. So I still weigh ball striking far above stats like around the green percentage of scrambling, but it's certainly a much bigger factor in my mind uh, than it has been in weeks past. Uh, and then finally, the greens here at Olympia Fields, uh, they feature a similar bent grass Poana blend to what we saw at TBC River Highlands and Detroit Golf Club. Um, so, yeah, just when you're looking at um, there, yeah, there are some if, if you are looking at like Poana splits, I would I would maybe filter that a bit more into like your East Coast Poas. Uh, like I said, Detroit Golf Club, TBC River Highlands, Winged Foot, Bethpage Black would be the four that come to mind off the top of my head in terms of courses that have similar agronomy. I wouldn't really be looking at like Pebble Beach or Riviera or Torrey Pines um, in that regard. Just East Coast Poa tends to be a lot more uniform, a lot less uh, carryover compared to like the West Coast courses. Um, so, yeah, those are my comparables in terms of the green agronomy. Um, I will say that the recent rains, it's possible that recent rains will take some of the sting out of these historically really fast, tricky green complexes. Uh, but it should be noted that since 2015, only six courses have made it harder to putt from outside 20 or outside of 15 feet. Uh, those six being Wingfoot, Augusta, Chapultepec, uh, Glen Oaks, St. Andrews, and Quail Hollow. So it's not a bad week to include a bit of three-putt avoidance and approach putt performance because I think, like I said, you're not really going to have a ton of like birdie looks inside 15 feet this week. It's going to be a lot of like, you know, 35, 40 feet, try to two putt, get your park, get out of there on a lot of these holes. So, um, yeah, in addition to like the long-term splits on the green complexes I mentioned with similar agronomy, 
um, definitely a week to, to maybe throw in a little bit of three-point avoidance approach pot performance as well. So finally, key stats roundup. I've been talking for a little bit too long. Um, but yeah, the key stats I'm looking at, just a quick roundup. Higher than average emphasis this week on total driving. I am weighing distance quite a bit over accuracy this week. Uh, solid, re- solid recent approach play, um, in particular stroke scan approach and greens regulation gained over the last three months. Uh, less emphasis on just general proximity ranges this week. Uh, I am weighing proficiency in difficult scoring conditions. Uh, special emphasis on recent results at Oak Hill, Mirfield Village, are my two main cops in 2023. Uh, bogey avoidance and scrambling, putting history on East Coast Poana, and then three putt avoidance and approach putt performance. Those are my key stats this week. And let's get into the final model here. Top 20 out of 50 this week. So giving you my opinion on, or my statistical opinion on, what's that? Two fits the field, 40% of the field. Um, but yeah, starting at number one, second straight week, Roy McIlroy dethroned Scotty Scheffler as my number one player. Um, Roy one, Scotty two, Victor Hovland comes in at number three, Patrick Cantley at number four, Tommy Fleetwood at number five, Cheryl Hatton at number six, Ricky Fowler at number seven, Xander Shoffley at eight, Colin Morcow at nine, Hideki Matsuyama at 10, John Rahm finally at number 11, defending champion. Um, at this golf course, Lucas Glover comes in at number 12. Russell Henley comes in at 13, Justin Rose, Siwoo Kim, Cameron Davis, Corey Connors, Jordan Spieth, Eric Cole, and Max Homa round out the top 20. So unless um, there's anything Chris has to add or has to ask, we will move on to the odds board. No, I think, I think I'm going to save my, my main question for this lead into the, to the odds board here. Okay. Um, but yeah, let's look, go ahead and look at the odds board. Um, where the conversation is pretty much the same as it's been all year. <laughs> we got three guys at the top: Rory, Scotty, John Rahm. Seven, eight, and nine currently on the book that I'm looking at, uh, with Rory obviously being at the top, Scotty in the middle, and John at the bottom. I will say, from an outsider's approach looking in, I thought this was going to be like a John, Scotty, Rory on the odds board, but yeah. uh, just that's based simply upon the fact knowing that John Rahm won last time we we're here. Yeah. Um, but I guess I kind of want to know, you know, what's happened? Why is John? third is it recent i guess recent recency bias here like the recent splits or you know is Rory and Sky just playing that much better yeah i mean you you kind of listen you kind of heard it in my statistical model i mean rom ranks 11th Rory and scotty are pretty much a, a class above the rest of them at least over the last three months um i think rom maybe be might be getting a little bit unfairly penalized based on a really lackluster performance last week uh, had the worst driving round of his entire career on Thursday at the St. Jude. I think he lost like three and a half shots off the tee um, in Memphis last week. A lot of that was to do with two water balls or an out of bounds ball, a ball in the hazard and the ball in the brush. So he lost three golf balls, which is going to set you back quite a ways in the strokes getting off the tee metrics. Um, obviously this week, not nearly as many hazards. So when you look, I would be careful when it comes to South, when a lot of the strokes game metrics can get wonky, because if you're just a fraction off on some of these, uh, especially the drives, um, you know, you can lose a lot of strokes in a hurry just because you're going to find yourself in hazards and spots that um, you're going to be taking penalty shots and reloads from. So um, I think, Rom, if you would have shown a bit more life maybe on the weekend, I'd, I'd be more apt to forgive him. Uh, for the week, he gained 1.6 on approach, uh, gained nearly or gained over a shot on, with a putter, gained over a shot around the green. So it was – decent but i mean you're talking like 9 10 to 1 at the top of the odds board um i mean rom's been pretty clearly behind score uh, scotty and rory in terms of ball striking um even even when rom kind of spiked when we had him at, at uh, the open championship came runner up at royal liverpool still 
trailed both Scotty and Roy for the week in ball striking. Rom just happened to gain four strokes putting and kind of climbed the leaderboard in that case. So, um, yeah, he's been he's been behind these two for some time. I obviously I do like the course fit for Rom. I think if he gets his game in order, like, yeah, I mean, sure, you could sell me on like a double digit price on Rombo, but um, man, Rory's just playing really well. We'll get to Roy in a second, and Scotty obviously. Um, when you kind of talk about the two courses I'm, I'm weighing the most, Mirfield Village uh, this past year in Oak Hill, Scotty Scheffler finished runner-up in both those events, or I guess third at Mirfield Village, one shot off the playoff, finished runner-up at, at the PGA Championship. So there's a lot to like with Scheffler's profile when you talk about a, a guy that raises his baseline when things get difficult, uh, when greens regulations are, are at a premium, when fairways are at a premium, when pars and bogey avoidance are at a premium, that's kind of when Scotty tends to raise his baseline. Um, really scary. I like. I, I think Scotty's a really good bet this week. If there was a bit of separate, like if there was a similar amount of separation between Scotty and Rory uh, this week as there was last week in the opposite direction, you know, because uh, Scotty was seven to one when we talked last week, Rory was ten, so we kind of took the blind discount given the fact that I thought they were pretty much a dead dead heat at the top. Um, if we would have seen like a Scotty nine or ten, like I would be very apt to maybe pick him over Rory, uh, despite the fact that I think Rory's the best player in the world right now. Um, but if they're even up, um, I just there's no one in the world I would pick up a Roy Macker right now. So, um, so yeah, Chris and Chris alluded to it earlier. Our, our betting card's pretty straightforward uh, this week. I, I have bet Roy McIlroy at plus seven fifty. That accounts for eighty plus percent of my overall budget. So as of now, that's the only move I've made. Um, if a number emerges either before they start teeing off tomorrow or maybe in the live market, I might I might fish around for like a 30, 40 to one somewhere in that range. Uh, but for right now, we're riding solo. Roy McIlroy uh, led the field last week in total ball striking. Um, came one shot short, obviously, of the playoff last week. But, man, Roy just continues to make a lock and key case as one of the best players or as the best player week to week in world golf. Uh, he's recorded eight straight top ten finishes since the PGA Championship. He's gained at least five shots on approach and five straight starts. This is the best run of iron play we've seen out of McIlroy since his pre-COVID run of seven straight top fives to start 2020. And Olympia Fields is just as much of a dream fit as you could possibly imagine. I talked about the need for distance, the need for just all around game with no, with no real holes in it. Um, you know, the two comp courses I mentioned with Scheffler earlier, Rory's one of just three others in this field uh, to finish inside the top 10 at both those primary comps. Obviously he was in the final group at Mirford village, came into Sunday in pole position, uh, ended up finishing seventh that week, uh, that week came seventh, the PGA championship that we were on him that week uh, with kind of a C game, to be honest uh, for a lot of that tournament. So he's already proven his proficiency there. Um, and kind of unlike the other two, Scheffler obviously is the other one, or is one of those three that has finished inside the top 10. And then Victor Hovland's the other one, obviously a win at Mayfield Village, a second at Oak Hill. Uh, and Rory's kind of the, he's one of, he's the only of those three for which there's not really a glaring flaw to pick out in the all around profile. Um, in addition to the world class ball striking I've been going on and on about over the last two weeks, uh, Rory's been a top 10 scrambler in this field over his last 50 rounds. He ranks second. And, G and Green's regulation gain, he grades third in boogie avoidance. Um, and he also comes into this week having gained strokes putting in eight straight starts. I got pretty nervous last week when he was fiddling with a new putter and then proceeded to like lose two strokes putting on day one. Um, I was like, that's just our luck. He comes in having gained strokes putting in seven straight, switched to new putter, and all of a sudden he can't make an eight-footer. But he redeemed himself on the weekend, started to find some comfort with that new putter. And um, yeah. I think he gained nearly two shots for the, for the week on, on the greens in, um, in Memphis. And now he comes into a – or onto a style of green complex that he's historically performed really well at. On kind of these Eastern Poana greens since 2019, uh, talking like Travelers, Wingfoot, and Bethpage, 
Uh, he has not lost strokes putting in, in, in any of his five starts in that time frame. He's getting a cumulative total of 12.1 shots putting in 20 recorded rounds. Um, so when you just look from top to bottom, the way he's playing from Tita Green, um, just the the short game that he's displayed over, over a long-term sample and, and the putting splits he's got on similar green complexes, there's really just not a lot to dislike. So, um, you know, like I said, if there was maybe a substantial gap between Rory and Scotty, you could maybe talk me into – to take in the value play. I think Scotty should have a really good week. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it all really just comes down to the putter with Scotty. It, it did not look very pretty uh, despite the putter change last week in Memphis. Uh, but certainly if he can turn that around, it'll be a real, it'll, it'll be a real fight at the top. So um, plus 750 um, is my only click to this point. And uh, we've got a little clip here, I guess, to sum up what everything I just said in the last like five minutes Um from, from straight from the camel's mouth. So this is this is Rory uh, Sunday at the St. Jude. Um, just asked about his overall performance and kind of the state of his game. Yeah, my game's in really good shape. I think Tita Green. Uh, you know, this is just a continuation of what I've been seeing over the you know the past couple of months. Um, you know, ever since really, uh, you know, that stri- like PJ Championship all the way through to here. Uh, you know, ball striking wise, Tita Green, it's been really really good and. You know, I've started to hold a few more putts on the weekend here and got myself up the leaderboard. So, yeah, with with two playoff events to go, I'm uh, I'm certainly happy with the start. I wish I could have been a couple better, but um, you know, nothing but confidence going into Chicago. Yeah, I mean, it's he's a pretty unassuming guy. You don't really get a lot. Um, you hear a lot of negative from Rory. I feel like he's he's kind of he's typically pretty hard on himself and, and kind of post round pressures. But um, yeah, I mean, he he's obviously feeling good. The stats back it up and. Again, I think this is a dream fit for uh, for a guy like him. So, um, yeah, we're on a <clears throat> for for full disclosure. I th- I think last I checked, I don't know if they've taken these props down yet. Um, but on Bovada, the book that we uh, typically reference on this show, they have what's called uh, hashtag What's Your Wager? Here we go. Requested wagers under Bovada. Okay, so last, so they've they've unfortunately amended this. This time last week, Roy Macro was eight to one to win the tour championship, and I was actually quite tempted just to put the future in on that. It's down to six to one now, um, which if he plays the way I expect him to play and, and kind of comes into East Lake inside the top three or four, like that'll probably be a bit of value considering the pedigree he has around there. Um, but yeah, just the way he's playing, I expect him to continue to contend at each of these next two events, and uh, he's very much in line for his fourth at his cup play, uh, final. Yeah, and I, um, I thought it was really interesting too. Like just hearing that quote, um, there's almost like a glimmer, like a glimmer in his eye of like he knows, like he's just playing like really, really good at golf right now. So um, yeah, I think you you mentioned it before. Player quotes can be really give you real real insight uh, behind the numbers, you know, to to kind of really feel how a player is feeling. I frequent in the NASCAR world, I frequent the practice quotes. Like when yeah. I, once I hear the guys go out and practice, you go and you hear exactly how they feel about their own car. Um, so. I love that we we included that this week to, as kind of our basis. Yeah. Um, but let's move on to the next two guys on the odds board. The only other two guys on are under 20 to 1. We've got Patrick Cantley, who runner-up last week. And we've got Victor Hovland, who was on our card last week. Um, and through group chat knowledge, and I guess their Twitter actually too, I know that you were looking for a way to really get Hovland <laughs> on the card. Um, and a friend of the pod, Mark Harris, Skyvox, NASCAR. Uh, already placed the beer don't parlay of the week with Chase Elliott and Victor Hovland um, parlayed together. I think it was like 85 to one or 75 to one, something like that. Yeah. Um, 
so, but yeah, what do you have on these two guys? I have to, obviously, us playing Rory, we're kind of played out from these two, but have yeah. to imagine that you like them essentially since, obviously, since they're third and fourth in your model, that, you know, that was a big sticking point for you of whether you want to go here or want to go to the top of the board. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I mean, what what's the number you see on Cantley right now? Um, sorry, uh, 11 to 1 on Cantley, 16 on Pavlin. But hang on, let me check uh, the you're other. Good. I think that's pretty consensus, to be honest with you. I don't think Cantley, I don't. I don't think you're getting better than 12 on Cantley anywhere, to be honest with you. So, the thing with Cantley is <laughs> – you, he missed his chance last week, right? Like it was 16 to one last week. I thought Southwinds, honestly, even though this is bent grass and he tends to kind of raise his baseline overall in the Northeast, um, he's won the BMW championship back to back events. Uh, winning at Case Valley in 2021, we hit him at uh, Delaware at Wilmington Country Club here in 2022 for the BMW. Um, so I don't know if that plays any part in the fact that he's 11 to one, but this is objectively like a pretty poor price on a guy that when you talk about a guy that has continually when what is like you know Cantley's been a top five or six player in the world for for quite some time now what's been the missing piece like what has kept him out of that upper echelon it's been the major championships when things get difficult when the winning score is going to be minus four minus five minus six you know Cantley tends to just disappear a little bit uh, especially when you compare him you know if he's going to be the same price or comparable prices to guys like Rom and Scheffler and Roy who are proven in the biggest stages um you know, Cantley's not a guy I particularly trust when, like I said, pars are going to be at a premium and, um, you know, you're just going to have to have to grind it out for four days. Uh, I must prefer Cantley in like your stereotypical BMW championship where, you know, at places like Medina and Caves Valley over the last kind of five years where the winning score is going to be 25, 26 under. You have to just go out and make a ton of birdies, um, you know, ton of birdie looks on bent grass greens like Cantley's. That's kind of your guy. Um, but, yeah, I just don't I just don't really see the. I don't really see the argument for, for going up and, and betting him at 10 or 11 to one uh, around a golf course that I don't think he's, he's proven enough in, in this style of golf um, to warrant, you know, any kind of consideration of this number. So he's, he's for sure uh, my biggest fade at the top of the board, even though he is fourth mile model. Like I would, I would easily take Rom over, over Cantley and like a head to head. And I would definitely take the next guy <laughs> uh, over Cantley head to head. I, I love Victor Hovland this week. Uh, to be honest with you, I'll, I will probably end up betting him in some capacity, um, whether it's in like a top five or a top 10, um, or even if I just want to hit the outright and, and just say, you know what, fuck it. You know, East Lake's a bit of a low exposure week anyway. We don't have another event until the Fortinet. So I'm I'm okay with going over budget because, man, Hovland, Hovland I'm, I'm just in love with his profile this week. He's, he's 16 or 18 to one, depending on where you look. I think it's a phenomenal number, frankly. Um, obviously the winner at Memorial, like I mentioned earlier, runner up at Oak Hill, my two main comps in 2023. Um, he always tends to raise his baseline in these difficult scoring conditions. Um, and notably, I mean, he finished what T13 last week in Memphis, but you know, it's a bit of a, um, it's a, it, it's a bit of an unfortunate result. Like it doesn't really, I don't think do his week justice. He gained over six shots on approach that week, uh, which was second in the field. Um, and he just so happened to have a career worst week off the tee at Southwind, which I kind of mentioned in Rom's blurb, like Southwind's just one of those golf courses where if you miss ever so slightly, uh, it's a penalty shot and you're, you know, you're dropping somewhere and you can really rack up penalty shots in a hurry around there. That was kind of Hoblin's main problem was just the fact that he drove the ball quite well on a lot of golf holes. It was just, it seemed like the golf, it seemed like the holes that had the most trouble, like 18, he just could not figure out the 18 tee shot all week long. Uh, I think he put three balls in the water, um, in four days there and, 
Uh, made a really, really bad double on Saturday when he was kind of charging up the leaderboard. Had a chance to post minus 11, minus 12 going into the Sunday. Maybe would have been in the final two or three groups. Um, instead makes double and is kind of back there, six shots back going into Sunday. And it's, it's a lot tougher task. Um, but obviously Southwind, is, like I said, is pretty notorious for penalizing like wayward drives. Um, there's nowhere near the amount of water in play here at Olympia Field. So that's going to reduce the amount of variance that we're going to see off the tee this week. Um, I would not expect the driving ways to follow Holland to Chicago and maybe more notably, there's been some serious development in, uh, Holland's under underlying short game splits, excuse me. Um, over the last three months, Vic rates 10th in strokes getting off the tee or strokes getting around the greens and 12th in bogey avoidance. Uh, he's gained strokes around the greens in five of his last eight starts. And he's also shown a bit of a propensity to raise those baselines even further on difficult golf courses. We're talking like Muirfield Village, LACC, Oak Hill, Augusta. He's been positive scrambling in around the greens in all four of those starts. Um, so if this hole is like truly plugged in his game, like Hoblin, the ceiling all of a sudden is really, really enticing. And I think he's at this point in time, even though Cantley finished runner up last week and Cantley's a, a super solid player. No, no disrespect to him, but I think Hovland in his current state is the biggest threat to the current top three in terms of guy that could break in and become maybe the best player in the world in the next 12 months. Um, 18 to one, I think is an objectively really enticing price and I wouldn't blame anybody for starting their card right here. So um, I'm going to have a on Rotoballer tomorrow when I release, when I, when I release, release my article, uh, I'm going to kind of have a separate uh, subsection called the contingency plan. So for those of y'all that do not want to, um, put all their eggs in the McElroy basket. If they're sick of him after he came up one shot short for us last week, uh, I'm going to have like three or four names that, um, that you can, you can bet instead. If you just want to kind of want to spread your, your units around and, um, and play maybe a bit more traditional week, like we usually do, as opposed to just going super, super heavy at the top. Hovland would be the leading candidate to lead that list as things stand. So I'm in love with Victor Hovland, 18 to one. I'm seeing on bookmaker right now. Uh, it's taken a lot for me not to click that number. I'm going to be completely honest with you. So, um, yeah, that's that's all I got. Um, Hundred twenty to one. Yeah, I was just I was just about to bring up that he has like odds checker shows him the best available number being sixteen, but we do have eighteen fifty on Bookmaker. Yeah. Um, and on the opposite side of things here, Xander on Bookmaker is eighteen, but we've got him for twenty uh, on on Bovada. So there's some different numbers going on here. Uh, but in the twenties, we've got a bunch of guys here: Xander, Colin. Lucas Glover, 25. Wow. Okay. They got oh. respect there. Uh, Max Homa, 25. And Tommy Fleetwood, 25. So, yeah, for me, I think there's obviously some guys that I think are uh, fun in this range, but also some guys that are clearly fades. Um, but, yeah, I'll yeah. let you kind of get into that. Yeah, you, you got that right. Um, so, I kind of mentioned last year or last week, I'm sorry, that um, kind of at the top that I – I really was having a hard time flushing out a lot of like ironclad winning cases. Um, we kind of talked about maybe, I don't know, seven or eight guys that I thought could objectively win the golf tournament. Lucas Lover was not in that list, so take that for what it's worth. But um, I think there's even fewer this week, frankly. I think Olympia Fields is a golf course that's really, really going to separate kind of the cream from the rest. Um, and simply, this range is it's kind of meh. Like, I, I, I think – there's a lot of enticing names, a lot of guys that I think when they play to their their top tier capabilities are, are certainly able to contend at a golf course like this. You know, Colin Morcow is a two-time major champion. Xander's track record speaks for itself. Fleetwood continues to put himself in the mix. I mean, just a gutless performance on Sunday by Fleetwood. I, I mean, we kind of mentioned people that 
had, can't, had friends of ours that had Cantley tickets and how bad I feel for them. I feel equally as bad for the Fleetwood holders because um, I was almost there with you at 30 to one. And that would have taken years of my life watching them miss like every foot inside eight feet on Sunday. So Fleetwood continues to put himself in the mix. I think Southland is a better, was a much better course fit for Tommy than uh, Olympia Fields is just based on just the driving profile that he brings to the table. I, I would prefer a guy that has a bit more firepower off the tee, which is a pretty common thread for this entire range. Like Fleetwood's a little bit um, lacking in driving distance. So was Glover. So was Morikawa. Um, Homa is driving the ball a lot better. He's probably my favorite of this range, to be quite honest with you. Um, but 25 to one on Homa, we could have got a 40 last week. Um, I would just much rather pay up for someone premium at the very top. Um, and so, yeah, no, like there's no one in this range for me that's going to, um, that would dissuade me from like just paying up for a Rory or a Scheffler or a Hoblin. So, um, that would be my, that would be my overall stance, um, to start a card would just be, yeah. I, like if you're gonna, if you want to start, if you don't want to start the, the betting card at the top of the board, just go to Hoblin at 16 or, or maybe, maybe Xander at 20. Um, but these guys like 25, more Cal, Glover, Home of Fleetwood, very limited interest uh, in the outright market. All right. That's about what I thought, honestly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It feels a little bit like last week. I feel like the further we get down, the more like I can't really talk myself into these guys, but this range is actually a little interesting. Um, I, actually like, I actually like the 30s better than the 20s, which is quite weird. But I think the, the names get more compelling, actually. Like the next like 10 names, I'm actually more compelled by by the – then by the four, we just kind of went the through. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jordan Spieth, 30 to 1. Terrell Hatton, 30 to 1. Cam Young, 35 to 1. And Deki Matsuyama, 35 to 1. So four names. Yep. Honestly, I could see three of the four being being very interesting to you. Yeah. Um, again, Spieth, I think his shot was last week. I don't really love Spieth when it comes down to like – just an overall ball striking test like this. Like he just doesn't have the horses that a guy like Scheffler or Rory or Hoblin has uh, from TD green. So look, Spieth kind of had his magic beans going for the first two days um, in Memphis. I thought he might be able to pull that tournament off at, at 35 or 40 to one. I don't think 31 is a great spot um, at the beginning of this week. Uh, I think, yeah, I think he kind of blew his final chance really to, to secure a win in 2023, to be quite honest with you. Um, Hatton, a bit of a disappointment, I would say, as well at Memphis. I thought Hatton was actually a pretty good bet. I considered Hatton and Fleetwood um, as, as maybe opposed to a Hoblin-Matsuyama uh, uh, combination last week. But, yeah, I mean, Hatton has a game strokes. Uh, he's gained strokes in approach in five straight. Uh, he lost strokes punting for the first time since the Masters back in April. So, um, in Memphis, so there is a case to be made for a potential buy, um, a buy low here at, at kind of off the T forty three. The problem is like you're not getting a great discount here. It's still thirty to one. Um, Ontario, the best. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's even the high water mark. I mean I'm seeing twenty eights and and twenty fives in some places, twenty twos even on drafting sports books. So it doesn't seem like the the books have really kind of given us much uh, wiggle room in terms of kind of betting on Hatton. So. Um, I would much prefer him on a, on a shorter golf course that maybe emphasizes a bit more, you know, of a all-around driving profile than a golf course like this, where I think guys like Scheffler, Rory, Rom, Hoblin have just huge edges with with the amount of uh, with the distance they they have off the tee. Um, Hideki and Young are actually my two favorites uh, of this range, and I think Young is probably you can definitely find a better number on Cam Young. You can, you can find a forty on Borgata and Bet MGM. Um, yeah, look, it, I. 
I wasn't in on the South wind, um, 45 to ones last week for very similar reasons to why he struggled at the three M open. It's just, he tends to be very, very erratic off the tee when he does get uh, wayward. And that's just not a golf course. You can really get away with that. Um, but I will say he passed the test around South when he did gain uh, four and a half shots off the tee. Uh, it was kind of the rest of his game that lagged behind T31 finish, but uh, led the field in driving distance, led the field in strokes getting off the tee. Um, actually was above average in driving accuracy as well. So I, I like to see that coming in here. And if you talk about a guy that has kind of routinely shown some life around, you know, PJ championships and US opens and open championships, like when scoring does get tough, Cam Young does tend to kind of rise to the occasion. I will say, his baselines are as low as maybe anyone in this range. So he's not a guy I would ever like tout as like a top 20 play or a top 40 or we're not going to have top 40 plays or a matchup play or anything like that. Um, but the upside is I think as high as anybody maybe outside the top five or six names on the sauce board. So if you do want to catch like a 40 to one, 45 to one, I think this is the type of golf course where you take a shot because I think distance, like I said, uh, means a great deal around here. And he is a guy that, that can lead a field like this in total ball striking and, and just pepper greens of regulation and, and make a ton of pars and uh, hopefully pouring just enough birdie putts to, to find his way into the mix. So I would not, I would not be surprised to see a bit of a Cam Young bounce back. If he is truly the guy that we, um, we kind of project him to be going forward a chance, maybe to, to get in the mix, try to get his first PJ win um, this week, 40 to one, 45 to one. I, I don't mind that whatsoever. And then Hideki is, is kind of my second favorite of the guys we've, we've mentioned so far after 20 to one, uh, obviously finished third here last, uh, last time we were here, went on a bit of a run down the stretch in Memphis, um, made, I think four or three birdies and Eagle coming home to kind of secure a spot here in the, uh, in the BMW, uh, 35 to one is, is a decent price. Um, it kind of sucks that, you know, we're getting a 15 point slice, um, in this price from last week, but I guess it's kind of to be expected with a shorter field and as his history on this golf course, I, Hideki's kind of the opposite of Cam Young, though, in my in my eyes, where I feel pretty safe that he's going to finish inside the top 20 or top 15, but he still hasn't finished inside the top five in any event since the players in March. So that's five months without anything inside the top five or anything inside the top 10 even. Um, so he's just a guy that I I think he's an above-average driver of the ball. I think he's an above-average approach player, obviously, um, above-average on the greens. Like he's got the TD green profile to contend at difficult events. Um, but I, I am – I don't know. I'm I'm starting to maybe lose a little bit of hope, especially at 35 to one that he's going to come out here and win um, this tournament. But a lot of people are on him. Like I said, he finished third here t- uh, three years ago. Um, although he did do so by getting 6.1 shots around the green, so it's not like it was a it was a clinical ball striking performance. He just kind of I remember that week he chipped in a couple times from just impossible uh, positions, which is always in the play for Hideki. But um, for me, I I don't know. I like Kadeki's outlook for this week. I just don't know if um, I'm entirely convinced enough of the number to to click the button and, and maybe forego, um, you know, a move at the top of the board. So that's kind of my overarching philosophy is Rory, Scheffler, and Hovland, um, I think for me, take up so much of my interest that um, I'm being pretty nitpicky towards the back, or towards the middle and the back of the board, but um, – yeah, I don't, I don't mind the thirty-five to one. I think he's a better deployed in prop markets, though, to be honest. All right, so the forty to one range: uh, Ricky Fowler forty to one, Russell Henley forty to one, Sung J M, Tom Kim, and Tony Finau round out this range. 
Um, Sungjae, are we seeing signs of life all of a sudden? Uh, more so, I guess, than we had seen, right? Two straight top 15s, finished sixth of the St. Jude, although he was never really in contention, uh, kind of backdoor to sixth place finish. He kind of uh, screwed over his winning chances on Saturday. Uh, but gained 3.5 shots off the tee, gained 2.3 on approach. So that's the best ball striking we've seen out of Sungjae in, you know, many months uh, since the Heritage back in, I guess that would be April. So, yeah, I think Sungjae, that was a kind of a perfect course fit for Sungjae. I think if he would have come in with any sort of form, like he would have been one of the more popular players last week. There's kind of a reason why nobody was on him, um, even at 40-1 to 1 around that golf course, a golf course that I think suits him really well. So it's good to see. Um, maybe for Eastlake next week, Sungjae played really well. At least, like, last year, almost kind of – I mean, Sneakly was kind of in the mix after, like, if Rory Scheffler would have kind of maybe fallen on tough times on the back nine. Sungjae was kind of in position to maybe um, steal the tour championship, but I don't really know if this is the best spot uh, for him. You know, you look at his memorial tracker, it's not very good. Uh, obviously, not a great start this year. at The PGA Championship missed the cuts. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Sungjae's kind of got a type, right? You talk about, like, heritage, players, south winds – uh, Honda, right? Like really extremely penal golf courses that put a lot of emphasis on accuracy off the tee. Um, and so on a golf course like this that I, again, I just think these guys at the top and guys that have power to burn just have such an inherent advantage off the tee. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really into Sungjae from an outright perspective, but like I said, he's, he's turning a bit of a corner. I think the top 20 prices you could probably get at, at 40 to one uh, could entice me a little bit, but yeah, no interest really in the outright markets. Um, Fowler, kind of the same thing. He he feels like he's a bit on the decline, sad to say, um, from the hot just he had in the summer. I mean, can't blame the guy. He he was putting together the best golf he's played in four or five years, pays off with a win, and then since then it's been a little bit quiet. Um, Henley, absolutely not. Tom Kim, absolutely not. Um, both are in the bottom ten driving distance in this field. So that's really all I've got to say about that. Finale's the most interesting to me, uh, 40 to 1. Did gain strokes on approach uh, last week at the St. Jude, um, which makes now six of, six of his last seven starts gaining strokes with his irons. Uh, didn't finish th uh, fifth here back in 2020. And again, he, he just kind of fits the profile of a guy that can bully this course off the tee. Um, he's got the same kind of tee to green acumen, tee to green ceiling as some of these guys at the top of the odds board. Um, of course, not playing nearly as well as a lot of these guys, which is why we find him down here at 40, 45 to one. Um, but if you're looking at just like pure upside, like, you know, GPP, DFS plays or, you know, plays you're looking to just get paid off big on, I think Finau actually possesses a, a higher ceiling than anyone uh, kind of in this 40 to 1 range. And um, yeah, if not for a certain US Open champion, five points on the board, he'd probably be the, the high watermark in terms of uh, guys I think they actually win this golf tournament. But there's a few guys down here that I, I still have some interest in. Interesting that you say that because I was just about to say that I was about to cut this off and say that might be the end of the win equity. But all right, now I have to keep going because now I'm interested. Um, so at 45 to 1, Brian Harmon, Corey Connors, Jason Day, Wyndham Clark. And then let's go ahead and read out the 50 ones as well. Yep. We got Benny On, Justin Rose, Maddie Fitz, and Sam Burns. Um, now I'm going to cut it off. I don't know if the win equity goes past that. Uh, yeah. But who do you have interest in um, in this range? Yeah, yeah, I, I need to, I need to um, start paying a bit more attention to the back of the board. I feel like we've neglected a lot of uh, a lot of decent cases at like a 60, 70, 80 to one or above over the last few months, and it's kind of 
bit us in the ass with with Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon winning major championships. Now Lucas Glover winning two straight events at 100 to one. Um, you know, all all four of them, I think you you can make actually a pretty solid case for, which is even more frustrating with you know just looking back, um, knowing that that Glover had been one of the premier ball strikers in the world, um, goes on a two uh, two start win, uh, two two start winning streak, and then you know Harmon with his results both in the Open Championship and in leading form. Uh, Wyndham Clark with his win at Quail, uh, his his top performance at Memorial, kind of leading into the U.S. Open as well. So that's been kind of one of my bugaboos, I, I would say, in 2023. It's not been a particularly good uh, calendar year so far on the golf side of things. So um, if I can kind of point to one thing, it's been just neglecting the back of the board a little bit and maybe facing a bit too much faith in the at the spots on the board I'm more comfortable betting, like 20 to 50 is, is usually that range. So when we kind of move into the middle of the board, um, I will say, like I said kind of earlier, it's it's I'm not feeling a ton of warm and fuzzies, but I think there's some cases to be made. Number one, Wyndham Clark, uh, 55 to one in some spots for the U.S. Open champion, a guy that if you could build a golf course for Wyndham Clark, it would look a lot like, like Olympia Fields. Uh, you know, U.S. Open style, narrow fairways, thick rough. Emphasis on driving distance, emphasis on short game, putting. This is a guy that won US Open with, while, while losing strokes on approach. So he's a guy that can overpower this golf course. He's got the deft touch around the greens and on the greens to, you know, to save his pars when he needs to, to make a few clutch birdie putts. The problem, of course, with Lindham is the fact that he, I mean, I mean, he had the worst start of, I think, of his entire PGA Tour season uh, last week at the St. Jude. <laughs> Finished 66 of the 70 players, uh, lost 11 and a half strokes ball striking. So, um, it's not great lead in form uh, for Wyndham, but if you want to take the angle, the same angle I took with Rom, um, and a similar angle I'm take, kind of taking with Hovland in terms of his driving, that Southwind's just a really finicky venue where um, you can just lose a lot of shots in a hurry if your game's off. Um, I think Wyndham is in a better spot than than maybe the 55 to one price indicates. I mean, this is still a guy that's won at a U.S. Open. He's won at Quail Hollow, another long, difficult golf course. He was in the mix at Memorial as well. Um, you know, and he's, again, he's kind of got every tool I, I would like at his peak. Like if this was two or three months ago, Wyndham Clark would be 25 to one, 30 to one in this field. I think he, I would still consider him if he was at his peak. So, um, I think from like a macro stance, he, he makes a lot of sense. If you just want to be, if you just want to take a stand that last week was a bit of an apparition and, um, he's proven that he's one of the five or 10 best golfers in the world right now. And you can get him at 45 to one in a perfect course fit. So, um, I kind of had this venue circled for him. I full disclosure was, um, yeah. I mean, if, if, if last week wasn't so bad, he, I think he would probably be on a lot more people's cards, but, um, yeah, like I said, um, Southwest is a place where I can get away from you in a hurry. Um, maybe if, if it was a, if it was a cut event and you just, he just missed the cut, um, and didn't have these like extraordinarily awful stats over the four days, then maybe people would be uh, a bit more inclined to forgive him, but they, they see the minus five off the tee. They see the minus six point five on approach. Look, it's not pretty to look at, um, but yeah, I, I think I think you can make a lot more bets than Wyndham Clark at 50, 55 to one uh, around this golf course. And then finally, I think my final stop in terms of win equity would be actually Siwoo Kim. Um, Siwoo 60, 70 to one, depending on where you look. Um, but we kind of talked about him at the Wyndham. I talked about him as a potential prop play at the St. Jude. Finished sixteenth last week. At the St. Jude, he's driving it at an all-time level for Siwoo. He's getting 3.2 and 4.8 shots off the tee in his last two starts, getting 3.6 and 1.8 on approach. Over his last two starts, he's actually the only player, like, over 
30 to one to rank inside the top 10 in both ball striking metrics. Uh, this is a guy that was, you know, he was legitimately in contention. The Memorial finished fourth there could have easily made a couple more putts on the weekend and, and potentially stolen that title. Um, and yeah, like Siwoo's 65, 70 to one. I know the putter is not great right now, but he does possess a lot of the T to green tools. I like uh, in terms of the ability to, you know, to lead in elite field and in ball striking to lead in the elite field and around the green play. Um, and if, if he can separate himself on that, he can afford to maybe miss a fair few putts. It's not like if this is a race to 15 or 20 under uh, where you kind of need your putter to, to carry you. Um, so it, the way he's been striking the golf ball right now, I, I, I don't really, uh, I'm not really in the mood to fade him in really any capacity. So if you do want to take a shot like deep down the board, uh, the best number I currently see on Siwoo is 70 to one on points bet um, as well as Caesars and Fandle. So I think you could do a lot worse than, than Siwoo Kim at, at 70 to one here. Um, but yeah, that would probably, that would probably do it. I would say for, for the, for the guys that I have any amount of interest in. Um, I mean, guys like Poston, Tigala, <clears throat> Taylor Moore, Hadwin, just not good enough drivers of the ball. Um, I mean, McCarthy finished runner up at, at Memorial, but he, he had to gain 11 and a half shots putting to do it. Uh, not a ton of interest there. Kitayama is like the one guy that I'm like 150 to one. Super long off the tee, historically a really good kind of middle to long iron player. Won at Bay Hill earlier this year, obviously. Um, finished fourth as well at Oak Hill. So he, he's kind of he's kind of popped up every now and again at these longer, difficult golf courses. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think Kitayama actually – I'm surprised to see him like 150 to one. I know the recent form hasn't been great, but this is a guy that, you know, he finished fourth at the PJ Championship on, on the back of four straight missed cuts. So, like, he's one of those guys where when it kind of works for him and a course works for him – he can pop up just like just like that. Um, I didn't really expect a lot of him out at, at TPC Southwind. Didn't really expect a lot of him at like you know an accuracy intensive course like Hoy Lake or or like Renaissance Club. Um, but yeah, I think 150 to one, you could do a lot worse than than Kitayama. And especially like if you like if you like um, a long shot top ten play, I think Kitayama is probably the best you can do. Um, I, I don't have that number in front of me, but uh, uh, but I would, I would I would assume it's it's it, it'll pay you pretty well if uh, if he does find that spike week and is able to kind of sneak in inside the top 10. All right. So I think you just answered the question or answered what I was just about to ask. Okay. Um, but uh, let's just theoretically, right. Just hypothetically here. Yep. Say that somebody in one and done is down by 2.2 million. <laughs> and the guy that they're playing against also has John Rom. So I, so not I theoretically um, yeah. can't play can't play John Rom. Okay, who would you go with? Right, who has that win equity potentially? Because two point two, I'm going to have to basically get first or second, right? Or not I, sorry, not I hypothetically. Um, yeah. So so let me le- read you the list that this person hypothetically has left. But I think you just named um, the answer to this. But yeah. other than John Rom, which. Was, would be a great play if the other person didn't have John Rom. There's Brian Harmon, so I think a no. Wyndham no. Clark, Keegan Bradley, Cam okay. Young, Sam Burns, Lucas Glover, Corey Connors, Siwoo Kim. Holy shit. And unfortunately not Kitayama. I was looking, I actually looked at that one too. Okay, interesting. First off, I would say this, this guy has a lot more – premium options that I would typically recommend at this point. Yeah. This yeah. Season. Yeah. Learned. So, yeah, uh, learned. <laughs> so maybe not, maybe don't play a lot of hundred to ones early in the year, trying to, trying to save your names because you end up in a situation like this. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think Wyndham would be my guy for me. Like if it's if he has, like it, I guess it depends on number one. Like what are you going for? Are you are you just are you are you win or nothing, or are you still trying to maintain a bit of position? Like what's your standing in the actual one and done? Um, so like if floor matters at all to you, I would probably lean more towards. Uh, um, I'd honestly probably Keegan. I mean, I'm, I actually, I don't know off the top of my head. Like I know you have young or this person has young fits um, Cameron young. He has Wyndham and he has Keegan. Those are the three names that stuck out to me initially. I think Siwoo actually presents a pretty high floor to be quite honest. So if like the, the answer is like, if, if you want a floor ceiling combination, then like I would lead maybe a little bit against Wyndham and Cam Young just because I think the bus potential is quite high. Um, but if you just want like pure, unadulterated win equity, like it's it's one of the two bombers to me. It's Cam Young or Clark. Um, if you made me pick, I would I would take I would take Wyndham because I, I we've obviously seen it twice already this year. I I really like the fact that he finished high at Memorial. Um, you know, Cam Young, a bit of a disappointment at Memorial, a bit of a disappointment at O'Kill. We're kind of relying more on, on the historical markers for him, whereas Wyndham obviously has done it more recently. So um, that would be my pick. Um, if you're just looking for pure ceiling outside of outside of John, I'm kind of in the middle of the board. Uh, it would be Wyndham and then, and then Cam Young. Okay, noted. I'm glad you were able to help that hypothetical person. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, hopefully he, uh, he listens to this before the, the cutoff date. <laughs> Try to get this up as quick as possible for him. Um, but this is a good time to point out that uh, we have been running a one and done kind of behind the scenes here. It was our first time running this. So yeah. if anybody out there listening wants to join us, um, I assume we'll kick it off for the fall. Does the one, did we do it last year starting the fall or no? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. We did the, we did our, our uh, draft for the calendar year of 2023, but we did the one and done starting at the Fortinet, which is in like a month, I think. Okay. Okay. So yeah, if anybody wants to join, let us know. Um, right now, like it's just been a, our our group chat basically, but um, we are welcome to having more people involved in this because um, I think we all enjoyed it. Honestly, um, yeah. I'm hoping to be named the winner, but it's not looking likely. Um, yeah, I was take runner up. A really tough break. Y'all both ended up with Rom at the end. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So, but that, I guess that it's, makes sense considering considering who we bet. <laughs> we haven't really bet John Rom at a, at a top tier event. I think I actually still have John Rom. Uh, so we, yeah. I, we, I was surprised. I looked at the like pick availability to see who everybody had left. And yeah. I think like f- like 57 or 71% of us still had John Rom. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Cause so. the only, the only time I've really bet John Rom heavy is at the open. And I think we all wanted to bit a live guy because that's the only time you could use yeah. a guy with the major. So um, yeah. yeah, that's what happens when you all read off the same, <laughs> the same show notes <laughs> to make our picks. <laughs> But uh, yeah, best of luck to to whoever's out there going for that that top prize. All right, so I guess with that being said, I don't think you had any other interest elsewhere. So we have the single bullet as of right now with Rory at the top, um, and then after that, obviously Ian said he's going to have his contingency plan in his article, which will include guys like um, Victor. Um, did you say Decky? Yeah, I would. I would put. Uh, yeah, right now the the short list is yeah, Vic, Decky, Cam Young, Wyndham, Finau. That's probably it. So 
take your pick. Xander in there as well. I think 20 on Xander is actually a decent number. Um, but yeah, the, if, if you had to pick, um, if you, if you didn't want to go to Rory, I'm, I'm spoiling the article, but I don't really care. Um, <laughs> if you didn't want to go to Rory, I would say Vic 16, Xander 20, Decky 35, Wyndham 50. That would probably be my, my card. If, uh, if Rory didn't exist, if Rory pulls out tomorrow, knock on wood, he doesn't, but if he pulls, if he pulls out tomorrow, um, then that would probably be the uh, the plan B. Okay, and you're asking the article because you're going to give your justification for all those guys. So, um, if you're listening out there, you should at least go give Ian the click, even though yes, we just please. talked about it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> just click and just keep hitting refresh. That's all I really need. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, with that being said, um, yeah, I guess we'll still have a show next week, but this is really the last, um, kind of like bettable week next week's probably gonna be pretty interesting yeah. uh, from a betting standpoint unless but you to, unless you want to bet plus 275 Roy McIlroy to win the tour championship but yeah we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there I'm still yep. excited for it because it's as a golf fan I, I enjoy East Lake, but yeah you're right as a better uh not the best week so let's close out 2023 with a Rory cash ticket or we still have I guess we still have room for about two two and a half units so room for a live ad maybe somebody starts slow or if ian sees a number drift um but as of right now we're hoping for a rory cash ticket to end out the 2023 season but in the meantime we will talk to you guys next week